Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee, episode five, Confident Women Leaders mini-series on the Business Problem Solve podcast. Angie McQuillan is next up. When you um, scroll through your LinkedIn newsfeed, there are some people's content that is instantly recognisable. And for me, that is exactly what Angie provides. We talk about her content, we talk about her and her journey, and I think this is a really amazing episode to help people improve their confidence. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved today. I have the immense pleasure of chatting with Angie McQuillan. Angie is an executive confidence coach, and I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, no pressure, Angie. How are you? I'm all right. You? Yeah, I'm really, I'm really good. Thank you. So one of the reasons, in fact, actually, uh, one of the reasons why I've been really looking forward to this, because I didn't know, I didn't know how, how you do this, because I've, I've been following you on um, social media for quite some time, and what I really like about your content is that you you handwrite it and you draw it, um, and then, and then then people get to see it. So I didn't know whether we would do this through and deliver it in the same way. So I'd ask you a question, and you'd have a flip chart next to you. You write all the answers in a stick man drawing, um, but but you're not. This is this is the real you, isn't it? The actual real me. I actually do speak. Amazingly. Yes. Yeah, this is amazing. This is amazing. So for those people who don't know who Angie is, who is Angie and how has she got to sit in that seat today? Wow, such a broad question. Um, okay, so I, where, where do you want me to start? You tell me, where would you like me to start? So you're, a, you're an executive confidence coach, right? So that's where you are now. And I guess, how did, how did you become an executive confidence coach? What's your, what's your story to get to that? Okay, so I started off just when I first went into the market as a confidence coach, just kept, I wasn't actually targeting a particular uh, level of seniority or anything. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's about the energy, the things that I say, whatever I do, but pretty much most of the people that I was uh, bringing in as clients were executives. So I just thought, well, rather than making it that I'm available to everybody, I just made it a niche so it wasn't really, if I'm honest, something that I went into the market to be an executive confidence coach, but it's turned out to be that. So, um, I mean, basically what I find is that there's a misconception around people that work at that level. A lot of people assume because they're a director, because they're a CEO, because the CIO, that they're oozing in confidence. And that might be their game face, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's what they're feeling behind that face as well. And that isn't for everybody. Some people have a, a huge amount of confidence that I work with but they've got other things that they want to work on. Um, but fundamentally, that's of, often a misconception. So I tend to work with those people that feel that they need it, a bit of imposter syndrome, you know, feeling a bit more assertive, dealing with very dominant characters in the workplace is one of the things that I help a lot of people with as well. Perfect. perfect. So confidence coach, how did you, how did you become a confidence coach? So um, fundamentally, what it started with is I stumbled into coaching myself about, 10 years ago, roughly. Straight from primary like, school, Angie? Yeah, straight from primary school. I was, yeah, I was 11, that's right. Yeah. So, um, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and I hadn't even heard of coaching. 
so I'm not particularly secret about my my background but before I'd ever had coaching I'd had on and off not all the time but I'd had on and off counseling and therapy for about 12 years and although I had this plethora of understanding about psychology human behavior and why people do what they do I still found that I was reacting horribly to different situations. I was still quite, although I thought that I was quite confident because I was captain of football teams or captain of sports teams and I was an extrovert and I was on stage with my guitar, um, I was not very secure in myself, even though a lot of it was, I would learn to be confident about the things that I did, but I wasn't actually confident about myself. So when I stumbled into who I still work with now, my coach, I hadn't ever even heard of coaching. I was like, what do you mean coaching? It was like, what, badminton coach, football coach? What do you mean coaching? So anyway, long story short, he um, basically proved to me from a, a like a call with him, should we say, like a clarity call that he was definitely going to be worth the investment. So I enrolled with him and I've never looked back. Like I worked, sorry, not I worked. I spent about four or five months working with him and I had more benefit from those four or five months working with him than I'd ever had in the 12 years of coaching. Now I'm not... Dissing coach, sorry, 12 years I'd had with therapy now. I'm not dissing therapy and counseling. It definitely has its place for the right people that need it. So please don't get the wrong message. But for the things that I wanted to work on, I was finding coaching much more beneficial for me. But then as I kind of came out of that, it's been an ongoing journey to where I am now, but I realized that the stuff I was battling with um, were quite common. Like loads of people were, were struggling with the same things. And once you start seeing it, you see it everywhere, like the old patterns of behavior that I had. I started seeing in other people. I was like, well, they're struggling with the same thing I was. So it just became apparent to me that I'd like to do the same thing and help other people in the same way my coach had helped me. So um, I trained actually with him. So not only is he a coach, he also trains coaches. So his name's Dan Munro. Feel free to check him out. He's awesome. Um, but I then trained with him. He trained me to become a coach. And then I set my own business up. And that's what brings me to where I am now. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. No, thank you for sharing that. And I guess, what's your definition of confidence? What is confidence to you? loads of different ways you can you can say it but fundamentally I think if you're really confident you wouldn't swap seats for anybody else in the world it's as simple as that like yes there might be things that you want to change about yourself there might be things that you want in your life but you wouldn't change places with those with those people because you're happy with who you are oh I love I'll, okay so I love that actually for a few different reasons because you can change so in, in my head now it's I've, I've, I've gone all sorts of different places with this so but fundamentally um, you are who is that sat in that seat. So you've got to be comfortable in yourself first. Um, but what you said during your introduction as well is that you were confident in certain things. So confident um, being playing in the football team and, and all and, and that's that stuff. So you were confident then, but not necessarily confident in yourself. But so is that because you'd moved seats and you were maybe the, the seat was the football team seat as opposed to the the Angie seat I, I, have I taken this uh, this kind of analogy a little bit too far now do you think uh I don't know have you <laughs> yeah. I think um what a lot of people get confident around is doing stuff like achievement based things so they they might be able to play a good sport or they might be able to play uh, an instrument or they might be able to sing in a particular way they might be good at doing something so they people develop confidence in doing those things but when it comes to dealing with difficult conversations, stepping into awkward situations, um, being assertive, dealing with rejection, dealing with conflict, dealing with um, interpretations of people's words and how you interpret those and what conclusions you draw from those. That's the part that really comes from your, like your self-esteem and your, your deeper confidence. So you can have confidence in that you could be not a very confident person, but you could play football for England, for example, or you could play a sport for England and you could be very confident in doing that thing, but they, 
come off that sport track or whatever, the field or pitch, whatever, and then they have a conversation with somebody that they maybe receive uh, an insult or they get something that maybe isn't a compliment. And immediately the brain starts going into overload of thoughts and overthinking and feel bad and issue and it they lose sleep on it and all those things that isn't coming from a confident place so it's all it's people often think other people because we judge each other and what we see not from how people feel so when we see other people on stage playing the guitar yes I was a confident singer yes I'm a confident guitar player but if somebody had turned around to me in those years and said you're not very good at that I would have crumbled I'd have been in pieces whereas somebody says that to me now really couldn't give a shit like it's that's their opinion and they're entitled to that so how we interpret the world has completely changed. One's external and one's internal. And that I think that's the fundamental difference. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. So th thank you. And how does somebody become more confident? Wow, that's a... That's it's, a, a bit, it's, another, it's another big question, that, isn't it? Um, well, so fundamentally, I think it's about... <clears throat> I mean, I work with people for months when I work with them or... You know, I don't just do one set. I don't do one off sessions with people. Nobody's going to get the value for the prices of coaching from a session. I just, unless it's something very, very specific where they have to have a very difficult conversation with somebody the next day and they just really stuck on the words like that might be the only occasion, but you're not really fundamentally changing their inner confidence. You're just giving them some quick tools, which doesn't really fix the deeper root thing. Yeah. Um, I think when you, you become more confident in yourself, when you start recognizing that the behaviors in which you're choosing to do aren't helpful for your confidence. And most people don't have that awareness. They, these are like blind spots in what people do. So, or they'll, they'll make up a story in the head around why they shouldn't do something, believing it's the right thing to do for, for wrong reasons, but actually damaging themselves in the process. So my role when I'm working with a client is to identify with them what things they are doing that is damaging their confidence and then fixing those. So it isn't just a, how do you become more confident? If that was such a simple answer, it would be like one page of a self-help book and everybody would be really confident. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, it really is a very tailored approach, but understanding what the foundations of the types of things people do are really useful, like people pleasing, avoidance of conflict, uh, our interpretations of people's words and actions, and even just things in life. Like we, you know, you see somebody else getting a promotion and people can interpret that, that they're not good at the job and they've completely taken this other thing that is completely separate to themselves, interpreted it in a way that isn't helpful for them and then come up with this conclusion that damages their own confidence. So it's seeing where people are making their own errors, basically, and then fixing those. And it takes a bit of bravery because it means that you're going to be breaking your own rule book of how people behave, which has got them to where they are in that moment anyway. Yeah, when you just said then about um, people's interpretations or, or what, what they're seeing, and then it's, that's that's the thing that um, that is driving those thought, thoughts in the mind. Um, does everybody know that they need to be more confident, or do they see something that, or does something happen that then triggers the need for confidence? So I, guess, I guess what's the trigger? I guess, let me rephrase the question to make it actually answerable, um, rather than it just be a, a random rambling. So. How does somebody know they need a confidence coach? Because somebody that's not very confident might just think that that's themselves, that they are just that, that way. So how does somebody know that they need a confidence coach? Uh, they'll feel it. They'll feel it. They'll, they'll have these horrible reactions to things that they probably feel that they shouldn't be having a reaction to. Or they'll watch, they'll read an article and they think that could have been written about me and it was written about confidence. Or, <clears throat> excuse me, they will... Um, just recognize that they're very reactive to things that they prefer not to be. And it would 
And it's not just like, well, very few things, like nobody enjoys getting criticism, for example, but how you then respond to that, does it stew in your mind all night and it leaves you sleepless nights or do you process it and you can let it go within a short space of time? That's the difference of somebody confident or not confident. When you go through a breakup, or if you get dumped by a partner and okay, if you've been in a long-term relationship, different, different thing, cause you've got an emotional attachment there. But if you have a date with one person and they don't want to see you again, if that like leaves you in this place of feeling lower about yourself, rather than the reality is that that person just has different types than what you are. When people take those things personally, those, those little things, you can start recognizing those types of behaviors and reactions that would suggest that there's room for a development in their confidence. Yeah, and Mark, I think we said just before I hit record, actually, that 70% of attendees on, on some of my courses are, are females. Um, do you find that you work with more male or female in the executive coaching space? Is it is it easier? And, and I guess this is a two-part question. And the reason why I'm asking it in, 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 in one part is because then I don't have to remember both parts and it's, the onus is on you to remember both parts, Angie. Um, so do you find it easier for um, men or women to be to recognise that they need more confidence? Uh, do I find it easier for them to recognise No, no, so do, do, do they? So I've got 70% female um, um, delegates on my course. Uh, and I guess I'm trying to understand the reasons why it's 70-30. And, and so is it easier for a, a female to be more um, aware, self-aware? And is, is that what you find um, with, uh, with yours or not? I don't think it's gender specific. I really don't. Um, up until about three months ago, 100% of my clients were male. Yeah. Um, and as it stands now, I've got uh, three females and that's it. So it's probably, I don't, I can't put specifics on it, but it's over 90% are male in my, in my kind of books. Yep. Um, and it's always been that way. Like I've always had a major majority of people in my, my world that are female, whereas I have another friend, um, a male coach, and he has majority female. It's like almost like 90% females. I know another female coach and she has um, almost 100% female so and I've got another male coach and he has 100% male so I don't really think it's about women gravitate more to men and men gravitate more to women I just think it it comes down to the energy that we project as coaches and how that aligns with the people watching so maybe I don't know maybe in the style that I deliver my coaching maybe I resonate more with the masculine energy I don't know I am quite direct um I'm never a dick but I'm I'm not one to wool it up and I would rather say something that might rustle a few feathers if that person hearing it is then going to be taken over a line and into the space that's going to help them rather than hold back because I'd be fearful of rustling any feathers because in that moment then I would be basically people pleasing I would yeah. be holding myself back and protecting my own needs because I'd be scared of their reaction I'd rather say it rustle a few feathers even if it meant that I pissed them off in order to help them get to that next level now it's very very rare that it ever happens, but because normally the people I work with just uh, connect with my directness. In fact, that's generally what people say. I love how direct you are. That's why I want to work with you. But every now and again, we've got to have a very uncomfortable conversation where we're exposing people's vulnerabilities and etc. And it's probably only happened like less than I can count on one hand. But in every single one of the times that it's happened, they've come back afterwards and said, that was bloody uncomfortable, but I'm so glad we went there because it's been a breakthrough for me. And now I'm doing this thing that I've been scared to do for the last... X amount of time 
So maybe it's just because I'm just quite not punchy, but just very, very direct in the way that I talk. Yeah, yeah, no, clear, clear. So if there's somebody sat at home now or wherever wherever they're sat listening listening to this, and they would like to be more confident um, in in whatever whatever the situation is, um, and it, completely get that it, it's not a, you can't fix it in one single coaching call. There's no silver bullet for confidence. But what's the smallest step that that you think somebody could take to be more confident? Um, irrelevant of situation is there, is there anything that would be a small step yeah I think it's uh, a number of different things people can work out what the values are so I'm always banging on about values and the content that I release out on my social media platforms but working out what people's values are then understanding what it actually means to live by those values a lot of people say well these are my values and they've got these lovely buzzwords that sound great but actually when you start challenge, challenging them and then you start challenging those values against their behavior, there's often a massive disconnect. So when you can piece them together and you know, if they say honesty is one of their main values, but they're not being assertive or they're not speaking out on an occasion when somebody's maybe disrespected them, that's still a form of dishonesty. It might not be barefaced lying, but by not saying anything, it's still a form of dishonesty. So recognizing what the values are, then living by them on a day-to-day basis um, is fundamentally about where I think that the inner confidence starts coming from because once you're aware of your comp- um, once you're aware of your values, then you can be aware of your behaviors and then you start realizing where your behaviors are not aligned to your values and that's how you can almost use your values as a compass to direct you in what action or behavior or thing you need to do in order to get um, to the next stage because just to add on to that, a lot of people have the misconception that, they can think the way out of a situation. So lots of people go, this is awful. I don't feel good. I'm panicking. I'm worried. I don't feel confident about this. I'm just going to sit and think about it. And then I'll build the confidence up by thinking about it. And then I'll be able to take the action. So that often people hold themselves back until they feel confident. It's actually the other way around. Like confidence doesn't mean never feeling fear, fear at all. The confidence doesn't mean never getting scared about anything, but it's being willing to do the thing that scares you, even if, it's going to be uncomfortable or awkward because it's the right thing to do for your confidence. No other reason not to gain validation, not to, not to gain like recognition from other people, but to do the thing because in that moment, that action is actually respecting yourself and respecting your values and respecting your self-worth. And when people start taking those actions, that's when they start feeling the difference. So it's taking the action and the confidence follows but being sure around what that action actually is, is always related to what values, what their values are. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, what's, what's the dream for Angie? What's the dream? Uh, live on a really hot beach with really hot men or man, should I say? <laughs> <laughs> um, but in terms of, in terms of which, which area of my life? Yeah, well, why, I, guess, I guess, why do you do what you do and, and where do you want it to go? So at the moment, I'm building a leadership group, which I'm really excited about. I, I do run like um, a non-leadership group, which any kind of person. So although I'm a, an executive coach, I do have a lot of uh, people that enroll in my groups that aren't executives because I get a lot of inquiry from all levels and don't discriminate against any level. So I want to be able to cater for all, basically. So my one-to-ones are nearly exclusively um, leadership. Then I'm now building a leadership group for people where it's a little bit cheaper and they work with other leadership people. So it's going to be a group of directors or C-suite people or like heads of. And then I've got my low level. So once that's up and running, um, that's going to be the dream, really. So I've got like multiple 
group some a small handful of one-to-ones which are kind of like my most expensive vip bunch um that gives me a bit more time back in my day and more time to do things like podcasting and interviews with other people and some volunteering if I have the time. So that's that's my business goal. It's like a pyramid kind of structure. I've got a small handful of one-to-ones, then I've got my leadership group, then I've got my um, non-leadership group underneath it. And all of them are different lengths, different amount of content, what type of content, um, how intense they are, how often they can reach me privately versus uh, in the group and stuff like this, all offer different um, parts of the programs basically. Yeah, and you'd be able to do that from a hot beach, wouldn't you? That, what? With a dongle, yeah. Yeah, with, with a dongle on a hot beach. Which, which hot beach is your preference, just out of curiosity? Uh, I'm warming towards Portugal. I don't know why. I just love the country. I've been there a couple of times. I love it every time. Love the people, love the food, love the beaches. don't know. It's, um, I, I can't answer why. I just, I just really like Portugal. I like Spain as well, but at the moment, Portugal's my running front country. But I'm not in any, I'm not like, on the cusp of selling up and leaving it's just a bit of a long-term vision yeah. i guess no amazing amazing and you mentioned the word food normally i finish i, I finish with this question because you just mentioned the word food um then what I, what are you having for your tea Angie? <laughs> um whatever's in my fridge i'm really unorganized when it comes to stuff like that so i just keep on eating until my fridge is empty and then i go back to tesco's again um hey, very I, good. I'll probably rock up some white omelette or something Hey, very good. No, it's, a, it's a safe choice for a, for a Monday, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, very good. Very good. So if um, if somebody, in fact, actually, let me just get, just about your social media post now. So you stand out on social media for me as, as somebody that's doing doing something different. So the way that you deliver your content is, is unique to you and instantly recognisable um, as your content. Um how did that how did that come about was it was it purely to stop the scrolling or or what what was the thought process behind that do you mean my doodle videos i'm a scribbly yeah do you know like the, the the ones with the with, when you ride down and then you've got your, your stick men and ladies and and, and stuff like that those, those are instantly recognizable no matter how fast i scroll on my linkedin screen i can always spawn an, an angie video cool thanks um, where did it come about? I just had I just had the idea one day. That was it. And I've, I've got quite a creative mind into doing things differently. And it wasn't even necessarily just to stand out. It's like I just want to do something a bit different. I was bored of just talking at my phone and making spoken videos. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then the other thing I was struggling with is often I I see everything in images in my head. Like not many people realise that because you you wouldn't see inside my brain, obviously. So when I'm talking to somebody, it's like a firework display because it's like these little images are just popping up like a, remember those flip books when you're a kid and you kind of flick through them and you can see the, the images moving and you can watch yeah. the story. That's what it's like inside my head when we're talking. So often when people are uh, like talking about something, I see like a diagram. And I was like, I should start doing this and I should start sharing the pictures that are coming up in my head in order to demonstrate what, because I can often draw something more easily than I can explain it. So um, that's kind of where it came about. So I tried my first one and it kind of went viral a little bit, hit about half a million views. I was like, holy crap, like that, that went down well. Um, <clears throat> and then I think it depends now, people have kind of got used to me doing them, but I think it depends now on what the topic is and how, how much they get traction. So there's one that I've got that gets the most traction ever. And the first time I posted it, it was like one point, well, last time I checked, it's like got 1.16 million views. Wow. And then I posted the same video six months later and it's now on about half a million views. So both of them have gone massive in terms of helping people. So there's always one or two videos that, you know, that are a little bit more popular than others. 
So it's partly to do with being different and creative, I guess. Yeah. But it's also partly to do with finding the topics that hit a nerve for people where people actually want to watch it and learn something from it. How do you decide which is going to um, go out in that format versus um, a different format? Is there a particular uh, criteria that you use? Uh, not really. I tend to just think, well, I've done quite a few doodles recently. I'll do one talking or if I've done too many talking, I'll pop up to doodles. It's, it's a bit mostly like that. Yeah. Sometimes I find it easier to explain because with my stick men, the stuff that they say and not really the stuff that we would say. Like we, if you look at the words of a stick man on my, my pit, on my videos, they're never the types of things you'd physically say to somebody else, but you can get the message behind cutting it that way. So um, I find it easier to explain that way than I would verbally. So there are some videos that I would gravitate to. This will be easier on a doodle board. This will be easier spoken. But I do find that there is no real method to it. It's just, oh my God, I've done a few doodles recently. I need to get back onto the, the you know, the talking ones. So mix and match it, a bit of variation, isn't it really? Keeps it a bit more entertaining for the for the watchers. Yeah, no, it does. It does. And I love it as well, because I think you have some really powerful messages delivered in a, in a unique to you style. Um, as well so I think I think it I think it's, it's amazing amazing what you do what what do you see as the secret of your success Andrew? Um, I In don't fact, actually let's just rewind a little bit because do you see yourself as successful before I ask you what's the secret whether you and yeah do you see yourself as successful? Yeah I, I do like I, I'm always ambitious to grow like I'm scaling my business at the moment um, but I do I do consider myself successful like not I don't mean that in a braggy way but I'm definitely further into my, in terms of growth and where I expect it to be after this period of time. So, and my, my business grew very, very quickly. So um, some of it might've been luck, some of it might've been down to the content that I'm sharing. I don't know, but the, the truth is, is that I, I do think I've done okay for the, the amount of time I've been going. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's always room for improvement. I'm still learning stuff every day. I don't believe I know it all. I've got a business coach that I, I have to ask a lot of questions to, I mean, how I deliver my content is down to my style and my decisions, but how to, you know, next steps in my business without burning myself out. I definitely need guidance on. I, I don't claim to know all that stuff. So um, I consider myself successful. Yeah. But I've, I don't think for one second that I'm the finished product. And what is just the secret of your success? I don't a hundred percent know. I think fundamentally one of the biggest tips I was given from my uh, personal development coach, which is spot on, is whenever you're releasing content serve people let them gain something from it and occasionally i'll put something in there like a small call to action at the end saying if you want to give me a ring or want to reach out that's fine or if you want to be interested in my next group then it's about to launch like i'll, I'll let people know what i'm running with but most of the stuff i put out you know if i've got over if i've got thousands of people watching a video only a tiny 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 proportion of those people will actually reach out in terms of potential coaching so just make it up. Say I've got 10,000 people watching it and I enroll one or two clients from it. That's still a lot of people that have watched it and hopefully gained some knowledge from it. And I get literally hundreds of emails a month of people just going, that video was timely because it's enabled me to pick up my piano again and start playing the piano again. Or it's enabled me to have a conversation with my wife that's been long due or it's enabled me to reconnect with my long lost daughter. Or um, today I realized I was burnt out. So I'm going to, you know close the laptop and go for a swim and look after me for a bit so wh whichever way you cut it I'm not saying they're really coaching videos as such but people get something from those little videos which gives me a sense of feel good as well because it means I'm helping people and then a small number of those people come forward and actually want to work with me as a coach so 
it's win-win for everybody. And I think that's the main thing. A lot of people, I believe, make their posts around, look how great I am and, you know, work with me and I'll get you to whatever. I'm just like, look, I'm not going to sell to you. I'm just going to show you what I can do and show you the type of things that I work with. And if this resonates, reach out. And if it doesn't, then I hope you enjoyed it and have a nice day. Both are okay. Um, But I try to make everything that I create mostly on, giving something so the viewer has something to gain from it they can walk away even if they just walk away with this tiny little piece of information that they weren't aware of before that's a win yeah love that love that when we started the conversation we said that that um, as when you left um, primary school you started this journey um, <laughs> if, if what did you want to be when you when you when you grew up police officer oh did you well first of all I wanted to be a stunt actress yeah and then I wanted to be a police officer yeah. Oh, wow. And I, I was a bit, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie. So when I was a kid, I used to like, when I was about seven, I used to throw myself down the stairs thinking it was, I was training to be a stunt actress. And then one day I really badly bruised my knees and I was like, okay, maybe it's, I'm not cut out for this. And then I thought police officers would be really cool, but then I was not taken into the lifestyle of it because I also had a lot of other sports that I played at the weekends and I realised that the shifts patterns weren't really going to work for me either. Yeah. And then I stumbled into corporate, ended up in HR for 15 years, which I enjoyed actually, because it's working with people and I'm fairly decent at communicating with people in difficult situations. Um, but then I, I just had this burning desire to do the coaching and it took me about three years to pluck up the, the balls to just walk out of the job and, and set it up. But I've not looked back since I've done it. It's been a, it's been a massive development journey for me because it's taken, it was terrifying. As most people would know when they set their own business up, when you give up a, fairly lucrative salary that was had responsibility had status had a decent title had all those things to set something up of your own that may or may not work it is terrifying but it's you've just got to persevere with it because it's definitely worth it in the end yeah completely and when you're talking as well you can tell how passionate you are about about what it is that you do as well that that definitely comes across what would your um 11 year old self think of what you did now do you think oh i don't think my 11 year old me would believe it like that that uh 11 year old me was a complete i mean obviously everybody's different 11 i'm not trying to say that i wouldn't have matured in any other way but i was um i mean you don't really know a lot about yourself at 11 you i think it's my 11 year old me wouldn't have believed it i think what would be more shocking if you'd have spoken to the 25 26 year old me 28 year old me even even up to probably the age of 30 if i look back to when i was 30 i was just at the point of turn to get into what i'm doing now um I, even then I probably wouldn't have believed it like I just I had such so many limiting beliefs on myself in terms of money how far I could go what I was worth you know belief in myself all those things and although I was still doing a really good job in some areas I didn't have an undercurrent I had massive imposter syndrome lacked that self-worth piece and that was what where the coaching pieced it together really so um I think it's probably more of a shock if you'd say the 28 year old me or the 29 year old me, but the 11 year old me would probably just want to play football and like just think, yeah, whatever, like just run off with the football at my feet and slide in the mud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I'll let you choose whether 11 or 28 when you answer this one. If you, if you had a bit of advice to give your 11 or 28 year old self, knowing what you know now, what would that advice be to I, either of those, your choice? Probably the 11 year old me, something along the lines of everything's going to be okay. That's it. I'd keep it as simple as that, but it's going to be okay. With a 28-year-old me is, uh, watch the space. You haven't even started coming out of your shell yet. Yeah. Yeah, love it. <laughs> love it. Love it. No, amazing. Amazing. Um, if people want to know more about you, um, 
um, and work with you or learn more about you and your journey and how you help other people? Where would where would they go? What would they do? What would they see? Um, I've probably got my biggest presence on LinkedIn. That's my my main kind of uh, my main platform. So I'm on LinkedIn under Angie McQuillan. That's just my name. It's not difficult to find me. Um, same with Facebook. I'm on Instagram as well, but again, I'm just starting to utilize that a bit more. I've neglected it, if I'm really honest. Um, I have a website, www.angiemcquillan.com, nice and original. Um, and that's pretty much it, really. Like, I just keep it simple under my name, so I haven't given myself a branded name, just in case, well, just because not everybody's always going to know your branding, but most people learn your name. So I've just kept my name on everything. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. I've recently started dabbling with Clubhouse, um, but I've stepped back from it. Stepped back from it a couple of weeks ago, just because I'm, I'm building this program. I can only take bite-sized chunks and what I'm able to take on. And once that's created, I'm I'm planned to spend more time on Clubhouse, which should be fun because I'm I'm looking forward to getting more involved in Q and A's, like live Q and A's. I think that's a lot of fun when that happens. Yeah, I think I've, I've spoke to a number of people. So I, I'm the same. When when I first got onto Clubhouse, it was beginning of January this year, and and I was all in for a couple of weeks, and I was like, it, it took over my life. I was in conversations with people I never thought I'd be able to speak to, um, and and then after well, probably about uh, probably about six weeks ago now, I've made a conscious decision just to actually concentrate on the things that are important rather than rather than it's like binging on Netflix, isn't it? You, you can just lose yourself for days. Um, on, on Clubhouse. How do you see yourself using Clubhouse going forward? Q and, was, it, was it Q&As and, and that type of stuff, offering more value in that way? or Yeah, just like mini rooms, opening a room, hosting a room, whatever. I mean, I've done a couple. I've, I host a room with a friend of mine who's kind of into sales and marketing. So we, we tag team it from um, confidence in sales and marketing or sales and marketing and imposter syndrome or something along those lines. Because a lot of people, when they're trying to sell their business or them or whatever, that comes with the, you know the limiting beliefs and the fear of doing it which falls right into my bag so we thought it'd be a good idea to tag team it but I've said I'm, I've said to him quite openly I'm just going to see how it goes and see if this is what it works because I get a real buzz in my in my belly when I'm talking about really uncomfortable unusual conversations as opposed to how to sell yourself because I, I don't get I don't get out of bed excited about how I'm going to sell myself to the world like that's just up to you how you interpret me I'm just going to do my thing and if you like me great if you don't that's that's also fine um so I, although it it has a overlap with what i do it's um i'm just keeping my eye on it if it's what i really want to commit to long term because it's it's very heavily leaning towards the sales and marketing side whereas i would love to host a room titled awkward conversations and talk about the types of things where we get bloody uncomfortable the things that we struggle to say and then obviously bring people up on stage and share a situation that they've been stuck in and not known kind of the types of things that then and coach them a little bit, but also help them with the types of things that they can say to help them in those in those circumstances. So that would be something that I get quite excited about the thought of it. Yeah. And I've got two girls that I've spoken to that I think would be fantastic co-buddies. So one of them is um, a lady that's my podcast coach, and she does a lot of work with podcasting, and she is a fantastic public speaker, and she's just got one of those lovely radio voices. So she's up for it, but she's moving house at the moment. So we've waited until she settled and then there's another executive kind of confidence coach as well similar actually she works with execs but mostly female um and I spoke to her about it and she's bang up for it as well because like I think it's both our cup of tea so that type of room would be much more entertaining for me to get excited about than marketing and sales it isn't really my bag if I'm honest oh yeah no I love that I love that the 
yeah, there's so much growth for people in the awkward conversation, both to understand how their own reaction. And so, in fact, um, you just you just sparked thought. Last week, I was um, I was having a conversation with a senior leader in a in let's just say a male dominated organisation, and, and I said to him, I said, "When was the last time you showed emotion?" Um, or and, and I just then I went I went quiet, um, and you could just see the cogstone, and his his instant reaction was, uh, "I don't, I'm a professional," and then. I was like, okay. And then I went quiet again. And he went, well, actually, um, I, the last time I showed emotion was at home. I've got two different hats, one that I wear at home and one that I wear in work. And he thought that showing emotion and being a little bit vulnerable um, conflicted with being being professional. And, and his thing, is that is that something that you you find and with your with your clients around every, that? Maybe not every single one, but the majority yeah huge huge part i mean it's one of the modules i've put into the leadership program about vulnerability because it's this complete misconception that we have to i mean if let's put it into re reality terms when we work a computer you put information into a computer it analyzes the information and out pops the end result which is great and even if the end result is wrong you can just recalculate the computer and it pops out again with, with the right result of whatever but as humans, if you remove the basic things like empathy, communication, uh, vulnerability, explaining like, you know, willing to show that you're even fearful or intimidated or just taking away those humane traits, you're basically yeah. expecting to work and operate as a computer. In fact, the computer has the easier job because the computer doesn't feel shame. So when we almost suppress that, we're all basically all working as computers and nobody really knows anybody. You're just a bunch of robots in an office because you can't connect with other people on the basis of having that game face and, and wearing this, um, you know, I think there's a there's a big theme, isn't there, in the world where men, you've got these phrases like grow some balls, stiff upper lip, uh, man up. And women have a misconception that to be a leader, they have to be a bit of a bulldog or even a bit of a bitch and be tough and be cold. And that isn't realistic either. Whereas if you mix women and men into a leadership team when they come from different places, they think in different ways, but they're all willing to be vulnerable, open, respectful with themselves and each other, you have a wonderfully working group of people there. It's when this totally false belief that we have to operate in this professional is showing no emotion, I'd haggle that is going to be a massive, um, so you're either gonna burn out, you're gonna be depressed, or you're not going to operate in your most powerful version of you because you're you're blocking the thing that makes you a strong leader. Yeah, completely, completely. I read I read something um, last week that said the top two characteristics. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of guessing word for word about the top two characteristics that build um, trust in a leader. Um, the the first one is um, is demonstrating that you've been on a journey, your wins and your fails. So like being able to show both of those rather than just the, the, the successful part of you. Um, and then the, the second one is talking like a human. Um, those were the, the, top, the top two things that came out. And then you think about social media. Now, the people that are the, the, big, the big winners on social media, the influencers and the, are those that are the behind the scenes stuff. So you, you, you see the stuff behind the makeup. And because as humans, we crave that, that actually some, some days people wake up and they're not very comfortable in, in their own skin. They, they, um, they're having bad hair days. Some people have bad hair days, I believe as well. I mean, I, I don't suffer with, with that, but some people have bad hair days and, and, and it's just showing showing that as well. And it's we're all human. So I completely resonate with everything you're saying there. And, We've got to get over this this 
this thing about actually we've got we've got to be this really professional person and um yeah so I'm, I'm kind of waffling on there but i completely completely agree and resonate with what you said sorry i interrupted you then sorry oh, it's, no, it's all right go for it go for it what were you what were you saying Angie? um i think one of the, the biggest things that i would say to this and i say this to all my clients when they talk in this way is that often this resistance to show any form of vulnerability now people hear the word vulnerability to start off with and their toes curl and think oh my god that that's a horrible word but actually vulnerability is the willingness to step into a bloody awkward conversation it's the willingness to voice a controversial opinion it's the willingness to put your stick your neck out and stand up to somebody that's crossing a boundary like that because it's uncomfortable it's the willingness to step into an uncomfortable space that's vulnerable that's basically means you're vulnerable it doesn't mean that you have to go oh i'm so needy and i don't know what i'm doing like that's not that's not vulnerability vulnerability is I'm willing to be bloody uncomfortable because it's the right thing to do within integrity. That's vulnerability. Yeah. But often people think I can't do that because I'll look weak. And if you, the thing is when you avoid vulnerability, you've basically opted for the easier option. It's easier to hide that and not show that side to you. And by default, it's more difficult to show that side to you. So therefore how can being, how can doing, sorry, the more difficult thing be weak? because you've taken the more difficult option and other people will pick up on that. When people are in a meeting and you see somebody going into that space of vulnerability where it's awkward and uncomfortable and it may be a bit exposing or they're owning something that's you know, very uncomfortable for them, people often sit back and go, bloody hell, that took some guts. Like nobody's gonna look at that and think, oh my God, they're weak. They're, people yeah. are on the opposite, they're gonna think that took strength because that was, took a lot of bravery to do that. So when you, when you incorporate bravery and courage and humane traits like empathy and honesty and you know, vulnerability, basically, um, that's very tough to do that. That is the opposite of weak. But yet the irony is, is that people think they will look weak if they do it. It's so upside down and back to front. It always, you know, it's it kind of obvious when you say it, but people don't think of it like that. Yeah, I love, I love that. I love it. Just by reframing that and demonstrating what is weak um, versus what is not, then it just changes the whole the whole um, dynamic of, of, of being vulnerable, doesn't it? So I, yeah, no, I, I love that. I love that. I might I might borrow that from you, Angie, if I'm honest. Um, no joking. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I am I'm conscious of the time. You got and you got a fridge that you need to eat, and and you've got a beach that you need to work your way towards. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to to chat with you. So just one more time, where can people find you? What what do you need to do? Is it just Angie McQuillan? Type that into Google and and. And they'll find everything. Well, into Google, it's actually really interesting to Google yourself. I was told to do it from a business coach recently. I was like, oh, oh my god, what's all this? Yeah, stick your name, um, stick my name into Google. You'll find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Just as an aside, my name is spelled um, I double L I N at the end, like McQuillan. And a lot of people put A N or E N, and then they don't find me. So it's McQuillan at the end. Perfect. No, thank you so much. And thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Uh, good luck with everything that you've uh, that you've got going on. And hopefully I'll get the opportunity to chat with you again soon. Okay, no worries. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Angie. Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the Business Problem Solver or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, 
Saying you know how to do it is not doing it. 